Amen. Amen. Well, that was incredible worship and incredible uh, poinsettia distribution this morning. That was wonderful to see those children. Um, I hope you have a Bible this morning. If not, there is one in the back of the pew in front of you. Would you go ahead and grab God's Word? Uh, We'll be in the book of Matthew this morning, chapter 1. We'll be beginning in verse 18 and reading through verse 23. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. Give you just a second to get there. Whether you are holding a paper Bible or a phone or you're there, or whether you are following along on the screens with us, I would ask if you are physically able, would you stand for the public reading of God's Word? As is tradition here at Bethany, we will read the text, and I will say, this is the Word of the Lord, and I encourage you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. The book of the uh, Apostle Matthew reads in chapter 1, verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been uh, betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in hers from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you'll join me, we'll approach the throne room of God in prayer this morning. Father God, we are so grateful for what we have already participated in and worship this morning. God, you are so faithful and so good to us, Lord, and your presence is undoubtedly here with us, Father. God, as we open your word, I pray that your spirit would move in this place, God, that your spirit would fall. And Lord, help us to place the distractions, the heaviness from this week, this month, this year, at the foot of your cross this morning, God. Help us behold you for who you truly are. Lord, would you move through your word as you have done And as you will continue to be faithful to do, Lord, help us bring glory to your name. All that we say and all that we do, God, we thank you for the sending of your Son, Christ Jesus. It's in his mighty name that we pray. Amen. Amen. And so we are in the second Sunday of the Advent season. If you're not familiar with the Advent season, it's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And I know when I was growing up in a Southern Baptist church, uh, maybe I just didn't pay attention very well, but I didn't hear a lot of emphasis on Advent. Uh, It's just more of a a high church thing. You know, they do the candles and whatnot. But Advent is a really neat concept. Advent is a very historical concept. The church has been celebrating Advent 
as far back at least to the third century from what we can tell, maybe even further. And uh, just to give you my own definition of Advent, it means uh, the coming of something big or someone big. And that is what Advent is, is that we are preparing for the coming of Jesus Christ, for ushering him in. And we find ourselves in the book of Matthew right here in chapter 1, and we see that the people have been waiting, longing for the coming of Jesus Christ for quite some time. I did this with the students not too long ago, but I I do want to ask about your patience level this morning. Maybe you can just kind of gauge yourself, because I'm thinking... Man, waiting and longing for Jesus, waiting and longing for the King, that takes patience. When we look at the biblical timeline, we see that God speaks mightily through uh, Genesis when he creates the world and he speaks mightily to Abraham and calls Abraham and he speaks to Joseph and he speaks to Moses through the burning bush. And as God's people goes through ups and downs throughout the Old Testament, they're on top of the military political world, and then they're in slavery and exile on two different occasions, and God brings them here and yonder. But he continues to speak. He speaks through his prophets. And then when we reach the end of the Old Testament, if you'll see right before you hit the Gospel of Matthew, there's probably a blank page. And what that blank page represents is roughly 400 years of God not speaking. Now, did God speak to his people? Maybe he did, but as far as the recorded word of God, as far as something we can behold with our eyes, something that noteworthy and notable, we have no account of God speaking, no account of God moving, just God's people eagerly waiting, longing for the promised Messiah and about 400 years of silence, confusion and darkness before he burst forth. That takes patience. How many of you in the past year have uh, clicked on a website on your phone or a computer, but it took too long for the page to load, so you just swiped up and went on about your business? Anybody? Anybody? Show of hands? Yep, yep. Took too long, right? Even though we have cell phones and our, some people in this room know what it's like not to have cell phones and know what it's like not to have smartphones, they would probably scold us for that level of impatience. But that's what we've developed. How many people, just to be honest, the teenagers were honest with me about this, in the past year have thrown an electronic device because it wasn't moving as fast as you wanted it to? Anybody? Anybody willing to admit that this morning? Look at that. Look at that. Behold your pastor. we got one on the back row back there, Chloe. I see you. All right. And so... Being patient is not something that we're very good at. As a matter of fact, our culture prepares us and ingrains in us a level of impatience. I shared with the students a real pet peeve of mine is when I drive up to Hardee's or the drive-thru and there's no one else in the drive-thru. There's no reason why they're not prepared to serve me my food immediately. And you pull up to the window and they say, you pull up to that number one spot right there, we'll bring your food out in just a moment. You know, and then 10 minutes, 15, what in the world? They finally bring the food out. Okay. We, we don't have this level of patience, and I'm telling you, if you put yourself into Matthew chapter 1, into this time period, into this confusion, this darkness, this perceived silence of God, God's people were waiting for the Messiah, and it seemed like He wasn't coming. It seemed like God was slow to fulfill His promise. And as a matter of fact, 
we see some of the odd ways that God burst onto the scene here. And we'll read through it in just a second. But it was easy for God's people at that time to have faith that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. But really, they had difficulty understanding the purpose behind God. What was he up to? What was he doing with the world? Why were things going the way that they were going? And why did it seem like they were gathering more losses than wins? And in 2020, we have this weird Christmas, right? A lot of the elements that we are bringing in, like the poinsettia service, we have traditions in our family. We're trying to keep them. But if we're all honest in here, there's an equilibrium of this is a strange Christmas. Things are different. Things are difficult. Some of your family may not be gathering because of COVID. Your family might not be gathering at all. You may have an empty seat at your table this Christmas because of COVID. This is strange. This is confusing. I dare say this is dark. And this may feel like God is silent. What is God doing? What is he up to? And he burst onto the scene. Look at me with, uh, or look at this with me at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And we read all the way to verse 23, where it says, uh, according to the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive, bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So I'm going to set it up this morning in this way, is that Jesus was Emmanuel then, Jesus is Emmanuel now, and Jesus will forever be Emmanuel. So verse 18, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Jesus was Emmanuel then. That is a definitive statement if you look at that. It's not the birth of Jesus Christ may have taken place in this way. It's not the birth of Jesus Christ took place in something sort of similar to this way. It is a declarative statement from the author of Matthew. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And it took place in a particular city. It took place in the town of Bethlehem, according to the prophecy of Micah 5.2. It said the seed of David would come from the town of Bethlehem. And so if you think about that, this didn't take place in Narnia or Middle Earth or some fictional place. It, it's not a fairy tale made up. There's historicity involved. There's validity involved. This actually took place in an actual city at an actual time on the actual day that God decreed it to take place. It did not take place a day early. It did not take place a day late. This day was put forth before the foundation of the world for the day that God would send His Savior to Bethlehem on behalf of the world. In Bethlehem. It's a little less than 7,000 miles from Andalusia, Alabama. If you Google mapped it, you could see it's basically a straight line to the right. You've got to go over the hump of Africa there, and you'll land right in Bethlehem, a real place. It took place in this way. And it took place in a bit of a strange way because God comes to a teenage girl betrothed to be married who has little experience, little knowledge, but she's got a little obedience. She's got a little bit of obedience about her. Nothing special about Mary, 
Nothing special about Joseph, but they are obedient. It's interesting that God took a girl from Nazareth and moved her to Bethlehem for the purpose of fulfilling the prophecy that the Savior would come from Bethlehem. Mary's not from Bethlehem. Mary's from Nazareth. And Bethlehem is a little town. We sing that song. But let me tell you what's smaller than Bethlehem. Nazareth. Okay? I'm from Andalusia, and people think I'm from a small town, but they don't know that I grew up in Samson. Okay? There's a difference. But God wields an entire empire. He puts it into the heart of Caesar to tax the people, and he needs a census taken. And so by God's great decree and great wisdom and great power, he supernaturally moves within people and they're making decisions. And the result of their decisions is that this young teenage couple moved to Bethlehem and perfectly fulfill the prophecy of God. He's a big God for little people. Amen? And if you think that your life is too small or too insignificant for His face to look upon you, to be concerned with your day today, you are wrong. He will wield an empire to move a teenage couple that no one knew at the time. Because He's good and because, quite frankly, He likes to show off. So He moves them here Verse 19 reads, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so you'll see in these few verses here, five verses, there's about four references to conceived by way of the Holy Spirit, Mary's a virgin. Okay, they hit on this over and over again. And there's a reason why the author does that. It's to emphasize that this is a virgin birth. This is a God-man. This is a divine action taking place. This is completely off course from what the Jews anticipated. Yes, there was a prophecy about a virgin giving birth, but they could have never imagined God to do it in this way. With these two individuals bringing them the way that they did to Bethlehem. And then God appears uh, and gives the message first time to, of all people, a group of shepherds hanging out in the pasture. Now, I'm not sure if this is a perfect comparison to shepherds, but this is like God giving the greatest message of all time to a bunch of construction workers. Dirty, probably not the cleanest of mouths, And not making a lot of money. God looks down and he says, I'm going to reveal this news of the coming of the Son of God to somebody. Oh yeah, I'll take the shepherds in the field. What Jew could have imagined that God would do what God did in that way? And then God reveals himself to the Magi or the wise men. If you don't know a lot about the wise men or the Magi... These were pagans. They did not believe in Yahweh. They were astrology majors. They watched the stars. They worshipped the planets, the stars, what they could see. And not only does God reveal His news to the Magi, but He does so using a star. Ever thought about that? 
He uses the idol that they created to show them the one true God. Isn't that interesting? And God comes at an inopportune time. Because right at this same time, in all of this chaos, there is a decree that's sent out that every male child in the Roman jurisdiction, age two and under, would be executed. God chose to come in a bloody time. And it would be easy for Mary and Joseph and God's people as a whole at this time to be confused, to slump into depression and dysphoria and to wonder what in the world is God up to? What is he doing? And here we are 2,000 years later and... We can see that Mary and Joseph didn't know what God was doing, but God sure knew what God was doing. Verse 21, as we go on here, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The word Jesus is a uh, comparison to the Old Testament word Joshua, or the Hebrew word Yeshua, which means God saves, saves, rescues. And the Bible is not a collection of stories that somehow, sort of, in some way, have the same sort of morality or tie together. Sometimes we read the Bible like that. Here's a little story here. Here's a little story here. But this is the pinnacle, the apex, the coming of Jesus, of human history, of biblical history. Everything in the Old Testament is leading up to this point pointing to this point, everything in the New Testament is looking back at this point, pointing backwards to this point. This is it. The Bible is one story about one thing with one hero. And that hero is Jesus. This is him. It's not Moses. It's not David. It's not Abraham. It's not Paul. The hero of the Bible is Jesus. And the primary reason that Jesus comes If to save his people from their sins. Jesus didn't primarily come to perform miracles. Jesus didn't primarily come to provide you with a good moral example. Jesus came to save the people from their sins. Jesus didn't come to keep your family safe. Jesus didn't come to make you a nice person. Jesus didn't come to bless your 401k. Jesus primarily came to save the people from their sins, every man and woman, child, me, you, are sinners that need to be made right with God. And that is the reason that he sent his son Jesus to Bethlehem on this day for that purpose. They shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. And praise be to God. Because that's exactly what he does. He didn't come to save them from the Romans. He didn't come to save them from corrupt government. He came to save the people from their sins. And Christmas must begin with this truth. The good tidings and the great joy are not very good and they're not very great if we don't understand how desperately we were in need of a Savior and God provided that Savior on Christmas. We were in need, and He indeed delivered. He 
is a sin saver and he is a wrath remover. Save the people from their sins. Verse 22. All this took place. You'll see that phrase took place again. That's also in verse 18. So if you if you look at it this way, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. It took place in this way because for to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And so this is a direct quote. Verse 23 is uh, from Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And do you see the progression from verse 21, 22 to 23 here? There is no Emmanuel possible. There is no God with us if there isn't first a Jesus. Look at that again. If Jesus doesn't save the people from their sins, there's no way that there can be God with men and women. There is something in the way. There's a barrier that needs to be torn down. Jesus must be a sin saver for him to be God with us. Emmanuel is necessitated by Jesus. He will save the people from their sins. He will be God with us. And Christianity finds its root, its distinct marker right here in Emmanuel. There are other religions out there and they put forth Maybe some sort of good things sometimes, but I want you to think about Islam and Buddhism and New Age movement. It's all about God is up there and how hard can I work? What right things can I do to get up to God? That's every other religion. That's their narrative. Christianity, distinctly different. God says, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to come down to them. God comes down. He incarnates He becomes flesh just like you and I. It is the mystery of Christianity and it is the wondrous, distinct marker of Christianity that God comes down out of a desire to be with us. With us. This is the good news of the incarnation. This is Advent. This is Christmas. That God has come to be with us. Jesus is Emmanuel then, and Jesus is Emmanuel now. Jesus is still Emmanuel today, and he desires to be with you. I've been walking with the Lord for about ten years now, and uh, I can't remember a time when I didn't at least have an idea that God existed. You know what I mean? I never had a time in my life where I felt like God wasn't real. I don't know if it was just a good raising or it was the Holy Spirit moving in me as a child, probably a combination of both. But even when I was a little kid, I, I always knew that, that God was real and he was, he was with me. But let me tell you, there hasn't been a year of my life up to this point that has shook me quite like 2020. And there hasn't been a year that I needed to know that God was really with me quite like 2020. I've needed that encouragement this year. I don't know about you. There have been stretches of time in 2020 where I really, really needed some reassurance that God had not forsaken or abandoned me, that he hadn't left me, that he was really with me. And we live in this 
tense period of time that theologians call the already and the not yet. That's where you and I reside. In the sense that Jesus has come, he has inaugurated the kingdom of God. I don't know if I said that right, but he's brought about the kingdom of God and he's uh, come and, and, and established his kingdom here on earth and the gospel is going forth and it's spreading to all different corners of the earth and peace is being spread slowly but surely. So something significant has happened. He has fulfilled the promises of God, but not entirely, right? We're still looking forward to the second coming of Christ. Advent number one has happened, but we're looking for another advent, that Christ is coming back, and at that time he will consummate the kingdom of God. He will finalize the promises of God. And you and I live in this time in between, where Jesus has come already, but in a sense he's still not yet come. And so we're experiencing some of the blessings and the benefits of the already, of him coming and providing us with salvation, providing us with Jesus, with a, an example, God in the flesh. He's providing us with peace. His grace is spread like a blanket across this earth in a way since the already coming of him. But at the same time, we're still experiencing death. We're still experiencing disease. We're still experiencing famine, poverty, tragedy. We're still living in the not yet. We're still longing and waiting for God to come and make all things New, that's where you and I live. And we have to be okay here for a little while. There are examples of the already in our life. Um, we have a young man who was supposed to be baptized today. It's going to be pushed back for a few reasons, but, but God has still radically move in our church, in our community, in this young man's life. He has, he has saved young Cooper and brought him from death to life. There's an example of the already that Jesus has come and that God is working great things around us. I have a dear friend of mine whose uh, granddad suffered from COVID for a few months, and he was put on a ventilator. And uh, if you don't know anything about COVID patients who go on the ventilator, uh, they, they don't come off. Very rare. And so he was on the ventilator for, I don't know, several weeks. And he got to come home this week. And he bounced back. And there's been this incredible victory over this disease. There's an example of God's grace being spread upon the earth and being particularly applied to him in his situation. And the already of Jesus coming, we experience those good moments like that. Praise the Lord for that victory but in our life at the same time, simultaneously, we experience it's not yet perfect. It's not yet there. If you have your bulletin with you this morning, I want you to turn to the prayer list page for me. Uh, the prayer list page. The prayer list page is a wonderful tool for you to pray through throughout the week. The prayer list page is something that the uh, staff members go over each and every week. And so you see the different sections, and we, we call these names aloud as we're praying to the Lord. Most of them are health issues. I would say about 90% of the people on that list are health issues. But I want you to look about halfway down right there in the center at that big section that says cancer patients. I hate cancer. I hate everything about cancer, to be honest with you. And that list grows by the week. 
And every time we call out those names and pray for those names, we say something like this. Man, this list is so long. Man, I can't imagine what these people are experiencing. If you pay close attention to that list, you'll see a man with the last name Wimberly on there. That's my father. He has a maximum life expectancy of four years. Not going to get better. We live in a world that has already experienced the coming of Jesus and the goodness of God. But there is a world coming where there will be no more death, no more tears, and no more sadness. We live in the space between the already and the not yet. And this life is hard. But Jesus was not only Emmanuel then, He is Emmanuel today with you, walking alongside with you through life's ups and downs, through cancer, through COVID, through loss of job and loss of income, through loss of child, through loss of parent. Jesus is Emmanuel. And that is good news. That is good news. And maybe you're here this morning and your life is a mess for one reason or another. And maybe you're in the position to where you are in desperate need of reassurance. You are desperately in need to grasp the reality that Jesus is with you. And he offers to be your Emmanuel. And what it may produce is... When we look back at our over the time period and we look at Matthew, we put ourselves in this situation and we think, surely these two teenage kids, maybe Joseph was early 20s, okay? They had no idea what God was up to or what he was doing. As a matter of fact, from their perspective, it may have looked like God should have stepped in and done something more quickly. But now looking back, we see that God knew what God was doing and that he was working all things together for his good. Everything that God decrees and does is for the maximum amount of his glory and the maximum amount of your joy. Everything that God decrees and allows to happen is for the maximum amount of his glory and the maximum amount of your joy. And one day, maybe next year, maybe ten years Maybe not until eternity, we'll be able to look back on 2020 at our lives and we'll say, you know what? I didn't have a clue what God was doing, but God knew exactly what God was doing. His hand of control never left. I never had any reason to fear because he was always with me. Is Emmanuel then? And he is Emmanuel now. And Jesus will forever be Emmanuel. If you will turn with me or look upon the screen with me at the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation chapter 21. Verses 3 through 5 of Revelation 21. You'll see that we're right there at the end of the story, man. If you flip your page, or maybe two, depending on your Bible, you're right there at the end. 
Right there, Revelation 21. God reveals this to the Apostle John. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look at that. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Mm. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for what I tell you right now. These words are trustworthy and true. I do believe that this is the infallible, inerrant word of God, that it is the very breath of God. And that everything in this book is true and that God is going to make all things new. He will forever be Emmanuel. He will always be with us and with his people. And the value of Christmas number one is really only understood if you know that there is coming a Christmas number two. Advent is only Worth the build-up if you only know that He's coming again. He is the sin-saver, the one hero of the story. And when He breaks on the scene in Matthew chapter 1, there's darkness, there's confusion, there's silence. And I want you to see how God moves in these types of spaces. That God in His great wisdom, it's almost like it's set up for God to break through there in Matthew chapter 1. Just when their faith was waning, perhaps. Just when they thought God is too slow to keep His promises. He must not be a promise keeper. He comes. And I don't know which side of the silence that we're on, which side of the confusion or the darkness. Maybe we're at the front end, maybe we're at the back end, but I do know that 2020, as horrible as it is, is the perfect setup for God to break through. The light is always brighter when it breaks into a greater darkness, is it not? And I do believe that the second advent is near that Christ is coming back. Jesus is Emmanuel then, is Emmanuel now, and he forever will be Emmanuel. And he comes into these really ugly times and spaces that we see in Matthew 1. It's not picture perfect. I've had this temptation with every one of my children since I had my first. I don't know how many I got now. They just keep stacking up. But since, since I had my first, uh, I'll always remember, you always have this big build-up about how you want Christmas to be, right? You always want the pictures to be just right. You want the wrapping paper to be just right. You always want the children to be really excited when they open that gift. And sometimes it just doesn't work out like that. 
Your children wake up cranky on Christmas morning, or they open the gift and they're like, Dad, I wanted the black one, not the red one. Why'd you give me the red one? You know what I'm saying? You know, you know Christmas like that that ever happened before? Life is ugly. Life is messy. And I think we all equally have experienced that in different ways, but certainly at a consistency this year. And 2020 is the perfect setting for you to be reminded that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with you. And Jesus was Emmanuel then, and Jesus will forever be with you in glory. We are moving towards something, church. We're not on a hamster wheel. We're moving towards glory. His kingdom is on its way. The good news, the glad tidings, the great joy, it's going to get more good, more glad, more joyous. And so as we close this morning, I ask you, as we see how God wields entire empires to get this couple to Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy. And then we see what Christ does as he, he grows and he lives a sinless life and he is the lamb slain on the cross of Calvary in our place. He dies in our stead for our sins. He does indeed save the people from their sins. So as God has been moving heaven and earth just to be with you, Emmanuel. My question is, are you with him? God has moved heaven and earth to be with you. Are you with him? Because the sky will soon crack and Jesus will burst into the darkness and he will look at this world and he will say, mine, 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 mine. Because it's all his. And we can only experience the reality of Emmanuel, true God with us, if we by faith believe in the promises of God, believe that the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, believe that He is Jesus, the Savior of the world, not just a good teacher, not just a moral person, not just a miracle worker, that He is God in the flesh, sent to save the people from their sins so that He can forever be Emmanuel. If you don't put your faith and trust in that revelation of Scripture, you are not with Him. You are not. And that's a tragedy. And that removes the good tidings of great joy. And so I ask you this morning, have you stepped into that reality? In your life. Do you really understand. That God has made a way for you to be with him through Jesus. And are you experiencing that now? Do you have the hope of experiencing that forever? Because we need that hope. In a time like this. Or maybe you're in a different category. Maybe you just need encouragement. Maybe some of you are really down. Maybe it's dark. Maybe it's cold in more ways than one. Maybe you're experiencing many of these not yet moments in life where it's not perfect. It's been really bumpy. Hasn't been fulfilled. And here with Christmas on the horizon, your soul desperately needs to feel Emmanuel. 
that God is with you. His offer is the same. Through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He is a promise keeper that He will be with you. He will not turn you away. So would you respond to that truth in your life in whatever way God leads you to do? Nathan and I will be down here at the altar. Jason will lead us in a song as we close this morning. Thank God for Christmas. Thank God for Jesus and thank God that he is our Emmanuel. Let us pray. Father God, we are utterly grateful. Lord, make us more grateful. God, produce in us a humility and a reminder of just how big you are and how good you are. How you have moved heaven and earth to send your son, Christ Jesus, God incarnate, born of a virgin to die on a cross for our sins, to save the people from their sins. God, you be praised. Lord, help us in this dark and confusing time to put our trust in you, our Emmanuel. God, if there is any who has not experienced that reality firsthand in their life, they do not have the hope of everlasting Emmanuel with you, if they haven't placed their full-fledged faith Trust in this truth. Made Jesus both Lord and Savior of their life. God, I pray that you would move in their heart to do so today. You offer Emmanuel, God with them, to them today. And God, for some of those who are hurting, for some of those who are heavy, for some of those who desperately need the reminder that you are walking with them, God, would you minister to their souls Would you speak to their hearts? Would you draw them in? God, we thank you for this service. Lord, we thank you for what it's represented, God. We thank you for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.